Well, they take out the key line, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. They replace it with God in his glory, blessed deity. What do you think about that, Kara? I have one simple thought on that, which is stop it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Impartial, the podcast where we talk all things church music. I'm Cara Devereaux. And I'm Monet Funka, and in today's episode, we will be revisiting the themes of Trinitarian hymns as found in the genre's most famous of them all, Holy, Holy, Holy. We will take a look at the song's writer, Reginald Heber, and see where the lovely themes of this song are found in the Bible. But first, if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you hit the subscribe button, like this video, share this video. We are found wherever you listen to podcasts. And most importantly, if you haven't already, head over to himpartial.com to sign up for our free weekly newsletter. This brings episodes plus fun bonus content directly to your inbox, very little effort required, and you're not going to miss anything just because an algorithm changes. So make sure you head over to himpartial.com and sign up today. Now, this week's episode is actually inspired... Ooh, inspired by our interview with doctoral student DJ Bowles. We spoke of some well-known and some not so well-known Trinitarian hymns, uh, meaning hymns that speak to the three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost, depending on your church background. Um, And today's song is one of those songs that we didn't have an episode on already, uh, though we have mentioned it a few times. So, Holy, Holy, Holy was written by Anglican minister Reginald Heber. Uh, So in true impartial fashion, I want to give you a bit of background on the man behind the lyrics. But before I jump in, uh, Cara, what is your background with this song? Um, I don't really have one. Like we've sung it a bunch at church, various churches. Um, It was one of the first ones I learned to play by ear on the keyboard. But other than that, there's no real... Yeah, no real background. Yeah, I mean, it feels like one of those songs that kind of is like a fixture of Christian life. Like you kind of come out of the box saved knowing this song or at least having heard this song in some way. Um, And I really do. I really do think that we have we have mentioned the song a few times on this show and I think linked out to it as well. I think around Christmas as well. But I do remember one Christmas Eve, I actually uh, learned the arrangement by Sufjan Stevens, which we've sent out before, um, and played it with a lady at my old church. And it was really special. It was a guitar and, and piano, um, arrangement. And it's just a really, I think a really easy and simple song to sing, but obviously there's much depth to the lyrics, um, that we'll find out in a bit. So, About the guy, the man behind the lyrics, Reginald, which is a really cool name. (laughs) He was born in 1793 in Cheshire, England. He got his bachelor's degree from All Souls College, Oxford, where he met and befriended, just a fun fact, Sir Walter Scott before his fame. Um, After his studies, he took a tour of Europe with a mate of his, a classmate, uh, where he was exposed to large Muslim communities during the time of Ramadan. 
And it really left an impression on him, kind of being exposed to other cultures and religions that he obviously wasn't used to seeing in England. His father was a minister in the Anglican Church as well. Um, And around the time Reginald finished his studies at Oxford, his father actually passed away. Um, And this prompted many to encourage Reginald to be ordained, which eventually he was. And he took up the post his father left vacant in Shropshire. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but it's Shropshire. (laughs) Shropshire. (laughs) Um, So in Shropshire, he served as a vicar for 16 years. Um, As he took up this post, apparently he had some conflict in his heart about where he stood doctrinally in the Anglican church. The Anglican church had a very prominent high church faction, um, which I think basically means folks who are very much into like liturgy. Um, And eventually he found himself somewhere in between that faction and the more evangelical factions, maybe more bent towards the evangelical factions of the Anglican church. So even though he was in this tradition, he wasn't necessarily, you know, to the, to the um, end of the spectrum that you would more associate with the Anglican church. Um, He was sort of in the middle. Um, Also during his time in Shropshire, he started to make more public his support of overseas missions. I thought this was an interesting note. I don't really know what it was like at that time if overseas missions just seemed like some weird pie in the sky thing. Um, But it, it wasn't new for him because in his Oxford days, he joined and helped form the British and Foreign Bible Society, which was a missionary organization. Um, so from early on, he had his sights set on gospel work abroad, uh, which leads us to our next point, which is in 1822, his friend from Oxford, everybody's from Oxford. I mean, I guess if you go there, that's like your network of people. But one of his friends from Oxford, uh, Charles William Wynne, wrote to Reginald, basically offering him his job he currently held, which was the bishop uh, or Diocese of Calcutta. Oh. So for those of you who are like me <laughs> and you do not know what that is, it's basically the Church of North India. Um, so Reginald had a ton of reservations about this post. Uh, some I really commend him for. His first reservation was, is there someone local who could do the job? Because, I mean, Reginald was way in England. Calcutta is kind of far He was like, is there not someone right there who could do it? Um, The second was if he and his wife and his infant daughter would be able to tolerate the Indian climate, which I know it's like a very British thing to be concerned about. I mean, (laughs) you got to remember, though, back then, like it wasn't as easy as it is now. Like people didn't know what it was like. There weren't as many vaccinations and things. So it was kind Mm -hmm. of like a bigger thing for them. They were like, oh, we could move there and die like a month later. Do we really want to do this? <laughs> no, no, it's really, really true. I'm I'm being a little I'm being a little bit mean. It's just I think most folks complain about the heat. It's obviously yeah. much more than just the heat to be concerned about. Um so he spoke with his family and his doctor <laughs> and he decided the job wasn't for him. Uh so he wrote to back to his friend and refused the job. 
But then he instantly regretted it. <laughs> and then he wrote his friend again and he was like, hey, is this job still available? I changed my mind. Um, so his friend, you know, got the proper approvals from the king. <laughs> and yeah, the king basically had to approve of this post because uh, it's the Anglican church. That means oh. it's related to. Yeah. Yeah, of course. The Church of England is yeah over kind of overseen by crown I guess yeah the crown it is it's strange it's a strange concept for me but it's less strange for you because this is your home it's strange for me I'm a Baptist <laughs> we don't believe in that sort of thing <laughs> no it's it is really it is really strange um but yeah the king said cool yep that's the guy um I approve of his appointment and so he and his family headed off to India yeah. So that's kind of a crazy, he obviously is a guy who was like world traveled and really well educated. Um, but his reservations actually about India weren't, um, you know, ill-founded because basically only a few years later, he actually did die suddenly at the age of 43 um, in Calcutta due to poor health. I believe it was his heart that failed him. And he was very young. He was only 43. So that's the life. That's the life of Mr. Reginald Heber. What Short do you think? Sweet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that actually reminds me, though, um, some of you messaged us and asked, DJ mentioned during his interview that he had a fun story to tell us. Um, and he did tell us, so we didn't realize it wasn't in the episode because he actually told us when we were chatting afterwards. <laughs> but his fun story was that he bought a hymn book or he was given a hymn book, I can't remember. And it turned out that this hymn book was signed by Reginald Heber himself. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's right. I do remember him telling us that. <laughs> Yeah, so there you go. That's his fun story. And that's quite a, that's considering how short his life was and the next bit of the story I'm about to tell you, that's actually kind of really special. So Reginald was a, he was a talented poet. He actually won a few awards while he was studying at Oxford. Um, but as far as hymn writing was concerned, all of his writings were published post homulously. <laughs> This word is very hard for me to say. Just after he was dead. <laughs> after he was dead, um, that's when they were published. And this was due to the fact that the Anglican Church um, didn't really approve of him singing, not technically. It did occur kind of unofficially in some Anglican churches, but the approved method of song worship during a service was from the metrical psalms. Um, so we've obviously many times on this show kind of seen that trend for writers uh, around that time. Um, so his hymn, Holy, 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 the one we're talking about today, along with the other 56 hymns that he wrote, were all published after he died by his wife, who wanted the world to kind of see this and, and enjoy this talent that that he had. So it's kind of crazy to think of that, which... You know, while he was certainly not an obscure man of his time, this hymn, which is so revered today, wasn't even heard of until after he left this earth. It's strange. I think it's it's um, kind of sad a little bit as well that you've got someone with a gift like that. Mm. And basically the church was kind of just like, oh, we don't do that. Yeah. Um, seems a little, yeah, a little sad. It is a bit sad. It's not the saddest thing in the world, considering that 
for all we know, he was saved and is now chilling with Jesus, unconcerned yep. about that. He's singing the original yeah. uh, Revelation, Holy, Holy, Holy. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But it is interesting because, you know, it these trends pop up all over history for the church when the church embraces or condemns things not on biblical grounds, you know, or at least flimsy um exegetical grounds, you know? So obviously during this time in history, especially in the UK, there was a lot of prejudice against non-psalm singing. Um, and I, you know, we obviously on the show believe firmly that that's not a biblical prejudice. <laughs> uh, but, you know. I think though as well, like it's a credit to him because unlike Isaac Watts, he didn't like throw a tantrum about it. He just, you know, quietly exercised his gift and trusted yeah. it to God. And it would be after he died that that would really bear fruit. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Well, this hymn was composed for Trinity Sunday, which is not a thing I've ever celebrated. Cara, have you? Nope, I couldn't even tell you where in the year that would fall. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I guess it must be part of the Anglican liturgy. Yeah, so Trinity Sunday is a special Sunday that is celebrated in Western liturgical churches, not just Anglicans. Um, they, It's also celebrated by Catholics, Presbyterians, Methodists, kind of all that, you know, really high liturgy kind of category of churches, church denominations. And supposedly, <laughs> allegedly, no, it's actually the Sunday, the first Sunday after Pentecost. And it's meant specifically to celebrate the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, the doctrine of the Trinity, as we discussed on our episode with DJ Bulls, is obviously a, a huge thing for the Christian. Um, so to have a whole Sunday to reflect on this is kind of a neat idea. I don't know if you're listening, if you are in not in one of those liturgical denominations that I mentioned just now, and you do celebrate Trinity Sunday, let us know in the comments, because I'm really curious to know what that looks like um, and just know more about it. Um, so, so this actually leads me to one little note on the tune. So the tune, again, composed for this special day, was written by John Bacchus Dykes for the first edition of the hymnal, Hymns Ancient and Modern. And he called the tune Nicaea. <laughs> and it was in reference to the Council of Nicaea, in which the doctrine of the Trinity was formalized in that creed. So it's a little bit nerdy, but it's also kind of cool to see how intentional this composer was and how the hymn was used afterwards specifically to keep pointing towards our triune God. What do you think? I think that makes me happy. Yeah. yeah. My little geek inside is like, <laughs> nice one. <laughs> <laughs> it is really nice. It's, it's, I feel like it's something somebody would do today. Like, can you imagine like a, like a Bible college student being like, I'm going to call it Nicaea because, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. It's like a wink to all the nerds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so that's kind of the history of, the writer and the composer, not really of the composer, but of the composing of this song. But I want to kind of touch on the lyrics. We can really, really nerd out here. Um, but I think what we're going to try to do is I read the lyrics and uh, Kara, you read out 
the verse or verses where this is found in the Bible. This is literally a sampling. There are so many more verses we could talk about. We kind of like picked one or two each verse. But uh, I think as I was researching the song, I just was like, whoa, there is, this is like Bible, 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 which is really exciting. I think sometimes we could be a bit prejudiced. We, as in Baptists, could be a bit prejudiced against Anglicans nowadays, maybe for good or, good or bad reasons. I won't, I won't comment on it. But to see something so rich come from um, an Anglican preacher of that time um, obviously shows his integrity, you know, to study the scriptures and to, to his fidelity to the scriptures. I don't know. But I won't... I won't uh, speak too much about it in advance. I'll let you see for yourself as we go through the lyrics. So verse one, holy, 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 Lord God almighty, early in the morning, our song shall rise to thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. So... For the first two verses, we're going to look at the authorized version for this one. It comes from Psalm 63, verse 1. O God, thou art my God, and early I will seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. And then the third line you can find in Luke 1, 49-50. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Amen. In verse two, we have, Holy, 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 all the saints adore thee, casting down their golden crowns around the glassy sea, cherubim and seraphim falling down before thee, which wert and art and evermore shalt be. So... This comes from Revelation 4, 4 to 8. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne... There was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Yeah. That's obviously a, a, a lot longer of a passage, but um, it's obviously painting the picture that Reginald summarizes very succinctly in that verse you know casting down their golden crowns you've got these creatures around him falling down before him and and they sing that in old in old english which wert and art and evermore shalt be and in the passage who was and is and is to come it's really lovely a, a lovely succinct summary of that scene that that's there in revelation 4 i digress verse 3 Holy, holy, holy 
Though the darkness hide thee, though the eye of sinful man thy glory may not see, only thou art holy, there is none beside thee, perfect in power, in love and purity. So there we've got 2 Corinthians 4, 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And then we've also got uh, Psalm 146, verse 7 to 8, which says, The Lord sets the prisoner free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. Yep. That's that's definitely a cause for celebration because, you know, he, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Every single one of us has been or is in that category. And it's so lovely that he also opens the eyes of the blind. Um, And we have that great comfort in the scriptures over and over and over again, over and over and over again. Last verse. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, all thy works shall praise thy name in earth and sky and sea. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. So we're in Revelation again uh, with Revelation 5.13, which says, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. Amen. A great, simple song, very easy to sing, very memorable tune. And I just really enjoy it. It's definitely one of my favorite songs, like top 20. (laughs) Uh, just really briefly before we end the podcast, I wanted to say we kind of touched on this during um, our episode with DJ, uh, but it's interesting to note that even this song, which I think definitely passes the scripture test, um, is also sung by the Mormon church. And you kind of think, well, how do they get away with that? Because they definitely do not believe in the Trinity as it is in scripture. Well, they take out the key line. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. They replace it with God in his glory, blessed deity. What do you think about that, Cara? I have one simple thought on that, which is stop it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's all I want to (laughs) say. You stop it right now. But I was you, like, we could go into the whole deity thing, like, but let's let's this is not a podcast about Mormonism. Let's no. just leave it alone. <laughs> it's also it feels I know we don't we use deity in our hymns, but very very I feel like I can't think of a song offhand where we have deity. It's so it's a bit archaic, what? isn't it? Really? Nobody really says that. Yeah, and it also feels like vague. It's like, oh, Kara, I, you know, I adore you, human. (laughs) It's like, it's like (laughs) such a weird way to talk about. Yeah, but if you think about it, Mormons are effectively polytheists. So for them, our God of our world is one of any infinite number of gods of any infinite number of worlds. And so for them, they're just kind of like, yeah, you're 
our deity, but you're just like a deity. A deity, yeah. 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 Yeah, I was thinking about that and how that probably is embraced in Unitarian circles as well. Blessed deity, like, you know, vague, you know, unknown God, you know. Uh, no, we know him. He is God in three persons. And he is, uh, you know, he has manifested himself in this trinity. So, uh, fail. Fail on that replacement lyric. <laughs> I, I kind of just feel as well, like, with Mormons, no offense to them, but they're so lazy. Like, can they not just, like, write their own hymns with their own theology and stop, like, borrowing ours and butchering them? Yeah. Uh, you know, because we we actually mentioned this before we asked some of uh, you, our listeners, about, um, was it Jehovah Witness? Yeah, Jehovah Jehovah's Witness Witnesses. hymns. And they have their own hymns, right? They're like, nah, we do our own thing. We're not singing your stuff, right? Well, they do steal a bunch of ours. Do but they? they? also, they do write their own. I think that the Mormons do write some of their own. There's songs yeah. like Jaime to Kolob, which is obviously <laughs> not something we would be singing. No. Um, <laughs> But for the most part, it's kind of borrowed off of real Christianity. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes sense because, you know, Christianity is true. So sometimes you have, well, often you have to mix a lot of truth in with a lie in order for people to swallow it. Um, And I always, I, I always say, I always quote, poorly whoever actually said this that all the greatest stories borrow from the greatest story ever told so it's kind of like yeah if you're going to make up a religion you better pull in some elements of christianity or else it's going to be pretty hard to follow um and sorry no i was just gonna say i think it kind of legitimizes it as well because then you know when they're trying to convert people they were like oh well we're christians too look we Mm -hmm. sing the same stuff and you're Mm kind of like "Mm -hmm." <laughs> no. <laughs> so yeah, that was really interesting. <laughs> I didn't know all that actually about Reginald Heber. I didn't know anything about him, and it's really interesting, like his life, short though it was, how much he did with it, and where he ended up. Yeah. And that's such a great scriptural song. And next time I sing it in church, I think I'll probably appreciate it more. It'll be less kind of like. Oh yeah, this one that we always sing and more kind of like, yeah, this is a great song. So uh, thank you so much, Monet, for um, walking us through this song and we hope that it blesses you as much as it has blessed us. So until next week, may the Lord bless and keep you. Bye. Bye.